I almost hate to say it, but Tony just put on a clinic on how to do a good scripture reading. That was <laughs> I can't believe it. I, I mean, he must have gone over that for months. But that was, uh, I love that. It's beautiful. It gave me the creeps to hear, hear that, that passage read aloud quite like that. And it was well done. I appreciate it. Uh, remember when Ladies' Day is. When is it? Yeah, it's right up here. And there's a couple of things about this. One is about this date, and one is uh, we, we have a sign-up sheet out there on the bulletin board for men for Ladies' Day uh, because the men are going to serve so that the ladies can fully participate in everything without missing a thing. So here's the qualification. Only real men can sign up. So if you, if you walk on by, I'm just going to go, well... Guess that ain't no real man, right? And if you're not a real man, just pass it on by. But if you're a real man who serves, serves your fellow gender, you know, with honor and grace, sign that sign-up sheet and be here and just lend a hand and do whatever's necessary to allow these ladies to, to fully have uh, uh, the maximum impact of this ladies. They've got a great speaker. They've got great things lined up. It's just us helping them. But, but also uh, remember that February... 17th is let the children come to me Sunday. We're going to do some things with children that day. But that also there's a, a potluck afterwards for those who want to learn about uh, or inquire about foster care. We're going to have a special video next week made by one of uh, interviewing one of our own people who know about this very, who knows about this very well. And it's it's just one of those things where even if you're you're one of those people, I'm just not sure I want to do anything. But you want to at least have information to help people who need that kind of uh, help. That you will be in the know about it. So if you're in any level of interest uh, about that foster care, learning about it, please sign up for the the potluck on the on the 17th. We'll be in Matthew 12 in just a second, and. Uh, I'm borrowing some moment. I'm saying this, but it's not really true. I'm borrowing some minutes from tonight. I'm going to make the, the lesson tonight shorter, put some in here for tonight, because some of you are going to be watching the Super Bowl. I already know. So I'm going to make sure you get two sermons worth. Okay. Jesus. Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. So if you do watch the Super Bowl tonight, here's something you're going to experience. You're going to see something happen on the field, some play that happens, and they're going to review and review and replay and replay and hash and talk, and one commentator is going to say, well, this is obviously a catch. The other one's going to say, well, this is obviously not a catch. And you're sitting there going, we're looking at the same exact thing, and we've looked at it backwards, forwards, underneath, on top, and in slow motion, and you still can't agree whether this is a catch or not. Does that drive anybody nuts? Anybody? Ladies especially? Is that, that just drives me crazy, but, but it's going to happen, and you're going to know it. And not only that, but they're going to get out this weird magical marker, and they're going to mark all over your... T TV screen. So this guy went over here, and then he went up through here, and he's got all this chalkboard stuff, all to analyze what happened. And the other guy's going to come, nope, what really happened was this. Crazy, isn't it? 
Well, we get an experience like this in Mark, Matthew chapter 12. What happens is simple enough. It's easy. It's a fact. Jesus comes across a guy who's demon-possessed, and the impact of the demon that's possessing this man is he cannot see, he cannot speak. Or cannot hear and cannot speak. What is it? I just blind and mute, cannot see, cannot speak. So he cannot speak, cannot, cannot hear, right? Cannot see, cannot speak. So he cannot see, cannot speak, and Jesus comes along, and it doesn't even say what he did. We don't know what words Jesus said. We don't know what kind of action he did, and Matthew couldn't care less. I just want you to know, he says, Matthew came along, met this guy with the demon possession, interacted with this guy in some way. Now he can see, now he can speak. That's the fact. And that's where simplicity stops. You have two different interpretations of what happened. I'm going to stand on this side. This is the people. The people look at what happened and they're amazed. Ooh and ah, because this is an amazing thing. We know what this guy had. We know Jesus interacted with him and now he's free from those things. This could be, right, the Messiah. All of a sudden they go into jury deliberations and they're thinking this is exhibit A. What this guy just did convinces us he could be the Messiah. This is of God. There's one interpretation. Just keep that right there. Come over here. We got the Pharisee interpretation. They see the exact same thing. They watched it right from the exact same spot. Front row seat, living color, vivid right there in front of them. They watch it transpire. They don't deny that Jesus can do amazing things. They never denied that. They couldn't. They saw it with their own eyes, just right there. Jesus obviously did this, but since chapter 9, since chapter 9, there's been this thing they're spreading around the people. It's by the prince of demons that he's casting out demons. They've been doing this for chapters already. Chapter 10, he's the master of the house of Beelzebul, so this guy is evil. And so these Pharisees, looking at the same thing those people saw, they look at the same thing and they say, nope, it's of the devil. Same thing, same person. Totally different interpretation. You do realize what this argument is, right? He's in collusion. You've been watching the news? Collusion? They, 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 go to their, they go to their Congress and they start a search and they start a big research about whether Jesus is in collusion with Satan. Do you all watch the news at all? I mean... This is funny, you know, and you go back and you look at the record of all the Pharisee leaders. You know who the Pharisee leader was at this time? William Polosky, right? Yeah, something like that. He's right there leading that entire thing, right? It's collusion. He's actually in, in cahoots with the devil to throw out the devil. That's stupid, but what, what else are you going to say? What else are you going to do? They look at it and they say this. Jesus then, from... From the reviewer's booth comes out and he says, let's review this. Let's slow motion this and let me show you what happens here as we go and we do the replay. And I give you the example. Jesus comes along and says, let me tell you how this was done. This was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus did any miracles, it was, it was done. They were done by the power of the Holy Spirit in him. The Holy Spirit was God's means of allowing Jesus to do these miraculous things. Okay. 
Secondly, if Jesus was doing this, and he was, by the Holy Spirit, it means the kingdom of God is now present in the world in the person of Jesus. There's already a kingdom of Satan. He just talked about it. There's two kingdoms operating in the world. And by the way, y'all, every one of you is a member of one of them. There's only two. Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. There's not any neutral ground. There's not any special little third option. Everybody's in one of these two camps right here. And he says, uh, it's the kingdom of God has come. And he says, I want you to know, if you are in this camp, if you're, and if you come to a belief in me as Jesus, through the evidence the Holy Spirit provides, your sins can be forgiven. Your sins will be forgiven. But he says to the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees who say, it was by the demon, right? It was a demon who did this. I just switched sides, didn't I? This is where the people are. Pharisees are over here. He says to them that that, that can't happen. It would be a civil war, and it would be an indication that the devil is falling apart, which he sort of is. But if a person stays in that camp of refusing to believe in Jesus, they will never be forgiven of their sin. It's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. These two people, this group, the people and the Pharisees, they look at the same exact thing, they see the same evidence and come to completely different, polar opposite conclusions. And I want you to know, that can happen today and it does all the time. You decide which camp you're in based on your evaluation of the evidence that you have. Let me tell you what the work of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is to convince you of who Jesus is. He is to convict you about that truth enough to respond to it and convert you to the kingdom of God and then to make you Christ-like. That's what the Holy Spirit's entire job is to do. Those four things, convince, convict, convert, and make you Christ-like. And he, does all, he has all sorts of tools to make you do this, but mostly too. In this original setting, it's the miracles of Jesus. The miracles get your attention and they confirm he is something special. And then Jesus gives you a message, a word from God. And that word from God is what gives birth to the word of truth in you. That's how the Spirit works. What happens, however, if a person sees all that and says, I don't believe it, I'm not going to do it, I don't care what it says, I'm just going to walk my own way and do my own thing. What happens if, despite everything the Holy Spirit's doing, you refuse to follow him? It's called blaspheming. And if you continue doing that without changing in your mind about him and what he's doing, you will die in your sin and be separate from God forever. And there is no last second Hail Mary option. A person must respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now today we don't have miracles, that's true. But the good works that we do get the attention and make the advertisement for the truth and then we preach the word of God to people. You cannot get into the kingdom of God without the word of God. There's different reasons why you listen. You may have had a great parent that taught you. You may have had a great grandparent. You may have had a good friend who invited you to church. You may have Bible class teachers. All sorts of impressive people who live the Christian life and get your attention, but they can't save you. You see, your story, as compelling as it is, can't save people, but your story can get people's attention and lead them to the Word of God, that story that can save them. The Word of God must be the final tool that convinces you and convicts you and converts you and makes you Christ-like. But if all that's done and you never respond, it's called blaspheming the Holy Spirit, speaking against him. And that's what the Pharisees did. They're sitting there looking at the works of Jesus. 
hearing the words of Jesus and saying, no, nah, it's of the devil. When you call what's evil good and what's good evil, there is no other option for you than to die in your sin. How could it be otherwise? Okay, that's all interesting about the scene. Now, the, let's cut to today. Can you blaspheme the Holy Spirit today? And if you can, who does this? The first group of people that do this, according to Matthew and Mark, are the people who have all that the Holy Spirit can do. They are, they are, they are being, they're being uh, uh, impressed by the lives of Christian people around them. They know what the Word of God says. They hear it. They see it. They read it. They know it. And then they look at you and say, I'm not interested. By the way, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not an instantaneous, momentary sin that you commit that you cannot repent of. Somebody once came up to me and said, I, I think I may have committed that sin a few years ago, and I'm doomed, aren't I? No, it's a posture. It's an attitude. It's not a certain action that you took. It's an attitude that you adopt, and you will not change. If you keep, keep in the vein of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, never responding to the Scriptures and what the Spirit's trying to do, if you keep in that vein and never change, I can tell you this, you have no hope. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about how we will be eternally separated. And the, and the two things that determine whether you'll be separated from God is, have you obeyed the gospel? And do you know God? Which is really the same thing. A person who has access to the Word of God and people of God talking to them and they know what the Word of God says and they never once respond to it, they are committing the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and God, while everything within Him wants everybody in the world to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth and He wants to grant everybody salvation and relationship with Him and be in eternity with every single person He ever made, God cannot violate your free will to not choose Him. He cannot go against your desire to say, God, I couldn't care less about you I'd rather live an eternity without you. I want you to leave me alone. And he says, okay, I will, but I'll do everything I can to convince you of this. Because I want you saved, and God wants you saved bad. He came up with this great plan, and I'm going to compare it like this. Anybody remember the, the reality show Survivor? I don't know if it's on anymore or not. But these people are put on an island. You've got to survive, and they vote people off every week, right? I haven't watched it in a long time, but I, uh, the last time there was all these sorts of rules and there was an immunity idol on the island, and if somebody found it, they just kind of quietly put it in their back pocket, and what it allowed them to do is when you go and get voted off that week, you take out the immunity idol and nobody can vote you off. You've got a free week. No one can touch you. You are immune. And I remember watching this one guy who, who found it, and nobody knew it, and he had it in his back pocket, and he went to this tribal thing, and they're voting people off, and he's thinking, I know who everybody's going to vote for. They're voting for this other guy, so I'm safe this week. What I'm going to do is I'm going to save the immunity idol for next week because I think I'm in trouble next week. And he's sitting there, and guess what they did to him that very week? Voted him off. And he walks off the show with the immunity idol in his back pocket. He had a get-out-of-jail-free card right there that he could have used and, and, and gone another week, but he thought, he thought he had it made for this week. I'll save it for next week. And he died having immunity right there. What I'm saying to you is this. There is this problem you have, and every one of us has it, and it's called sin. 
We've all been rebellious, every one of us. We continue to be, but we're washed by the blood of Jesus, right? But there's, we've all got this sin problem, and we can't do anything about it. We created it. It's our mess, but we can't fix it because it's absolutely unfixable by us. Once you're guilty, you can't become innocent. There's no way. You're always guilty. But God says, you know what? I don't want you to be doomed forever. I'm going to come up with an immunity plan for you. I'm going to come up with it. I'm going to create it, and I'm even going to pay the cost for this thing, and I'm going to give you immunity. And not only that, I'm going to give you a plan for it, but I'm going to put the Holy Spirit into the world. And that Holy Spirit is going to give you all sorts of evidence. He's going to direct you to where that immunity plan is. He's going to, tell, he's going to give people in your life who, who can tell you where it is, and he's going to lead you to the Word, the map that shows you where it is, and that Word's going to clearly tell you how you can have immunity and not die in your sin. There's no reason to, because God doesn't want you to. And he came up with a plan, and he put the Holy Spirit in the world to lead you to it and everything the Spirit's doing is trying to lead you to that immunity so that you don't have to die because any the number one person, your greatest fan, more than your mama and more than your grandma is your God. Your God is your greatest fan and he wants you to be immune from the consequences of sin and he puts everything he can into it and he puts the Holy Spirit in here to say, you tell them. You tell them through people and you get them to my word and you let them know where it is and people find it And they look at it and they decide, do I even want it or not? If you die in your sin, it is your choice. It's not God's. He's done everything he can to tell you how he feels about you, what he wants for you, and how you can escape this mess you got yourself into. He's doing everything he can, but if you shake your fist at him and you nod your head and say, I don't want it, he can't do anything else. It's called blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And if you're an unbeliever who weeks after week after week, maybe there was a time when you were holding on to that pew in front of you and it turned white because you're like, I need to respond right now. But you resist and you, you, you quench the Holy Spirit at that moment. You are in blasphemy right then. You are in a state of blaspheming the Holy Spirit right then. But you've got more chances. But every other chance gets a little easier and a little easier. I did it myself last week. I did it just fine. And suddenly weeks go by and you no longer feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's like those people who invite you to their house over and over again, you keep turning them down, eventually they don't ask you anymore. God will always be inviting you, but you're not going to hear him anymore. But is that the only people who are in danger? Do you think believers are ever in danger of this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I used to say it this way in Bible class. I would say, if you're worried about it, you're at church and you're worried, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Then you haven't. You can't really worry about it, right, if you've, if you've not committed it. So here, here, but that's not strictly true. Matthew and Mark both have the same context. People watching the evidence the Spirit gives about the Holy Spirit, they look at it and they say, I don't want it. It's something else. But Luke has a different context, and I'm not going to take you here on the screen. I want you to go to Luke chapter 12 yourself, and I want you to look at two verses with me. In Luke chapter 12, here Jesus gives it in a different context that's very, very interesting and quite telling. There's two reasons why I believe Christians, even in pews on Sundays, might be blaspheming the Holy Spirit on occasion, or at least in danger of it. 
One is the context of the third time this warning is given. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 10. Now in chapter 11, Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house, and he was just, he was, the Pharisee invited him for dinner, but he regretted it almost immediately. Because Jesus starts launching into this guy, talking about how bad Pharisees are and how hypocritical they are and how they try to make everybody look how holy they are, but they're not. On the inside, they're just awful. And he calls that hypocrisy. Now, chapter 12, look at verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had been gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say primarily to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Who is he speaking primarily to? Disciples. Did you get that? Did everybody see that? He's not talking, he's not making, he's not talking to the Pharisees now. He's talking about the Pharisees, but he's not talking to the Pharisees now. He's not, he's not even talking to the crowds primarily. He's talking to disciples. And so he says, disciples, I want to tell you something. Let's talk about this for a minute. Be very careful about hypocrisy in your life. You may know what hypocrisy is. I, there's many ways. You know what when you see it, but you know how you describe it? When you come to become a Christian, you make a, you make a deal with, with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit saves you, and you say, make me Christ-like. And that's his job. But sometimes, even while we're friends with the Holy Spirit and walking in step with the Spirit, we start making peace treaties with sin. You can't do that with the Spirit. You see, that's kind of mutually exclusive. But we try it anyway. We have sin, pet sins on the side that we let go unaddressed. We just think, well, it'd be okay if as long as I do the rest of it. And if you're battling with sin, that's one thing. But if you've made a peace treaty with it and you think, you know what, I can live in both worlds and nobody will be any the wiser. I can just live in sin sometimes and I can go to church sometimes and I can just make this thing be permanent and forever and, and balance it and I can juggle really good. And you've got both worlds going on all the time. Not in a battle, but you're just going in a balance. That's called hypocrisy. Be very careful, he tells the disciples about hypocrisy. And one of the reasons why it's dangerous, look at verse 10, same context. Talking to the apostles, saying, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What is that doing in a passage to disciples? If you're a disciple, you shouldn't have to worry about this. It's done, done. Jesus says, Not so. When you get to a point where you let some unbelief reside in your life without challenge, you're in danger of playing both sides. And suddenly, when the Spirit tries to convict you of the things in your life you need to change, you're not listening anymore. It's the same as an unbeliever. You can commit this sin even post-baptism, post-conversion. Jesus says it in this context, but I think it's better understood with synonyms. You know what a synonym is? If I'm trying to explain a word and it's a word you don't know, if I'm like Gary James, you know, I, every time Gary James is talking anywhere, I have to have my Siri out and it gives me synonyms to under, oh, that's what that was, okay. A synonym means the same thing? Let me give you two passages that say the same thing as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, 6, sorry. It is impossible does that mean it's unlikely? It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Spirit gives you light, so it's the work of the Spirit to enlighten you. Once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift. Anybody know what the heavenly gift is? 
It's our verse, y'all. Repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the... The... Church, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, if you've tasted that gift God gives you at your conversion, if you've tasted it, you've got it in your life and you've experienced it. We're not talking about like an academic, I can answer this question. I've experienced the Holy Spirit as a gift in my life that God gave me at conversion. I have tasted the heavenly gift. I've shared in the Holy Spirit. We have a mutual sharing of this wonderful presence of God in us, right? Who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, right? You've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. The powers of the coming age, you live in the Spirit. All these are Holy Spirit words. And he says, it's impossible for those who've once you know, been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared the Holy Spirit, who have... What is it? Tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen, what? Have what? Read it, church. What's it say? Fallen away. Can, can, you, can you fall away once you've experienced it? Yes, you can. That's another synonym for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's done everything He can to lead you to be convinced, convicted, converted, and Christ-like, when He's done everything He can, and it's not enough for you, and you turn your back on it, and you say, I'm not listening anymore, it is impossible to restore you. You can fall. Christians can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They can say this program the Spirit has for me in the Word to make me more Christ-like, I'm not listening anymore. I'll tell you how we can do that in a minute, but first of all, Hebrews chapter 10. If we, what's the words? What does deliberately mean? Totally on purpose. You deliberately keep on sinning after you've received the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth is found in the Word of God, which is given by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit's trying to lead you to doing good. You know what it says. You know what it says. And you deliberately keep on transgressing it. No sacrifice for sins is left. What more can God do? Listen, if you tasted my grandmother's apple pie... You would either love apple pie or you decide I don't like apple pie, but you would never go anywhere else to try it because you'd know already if you don't like hers, you will not like it. Don't waste your time. If God's done everything he can and you know what he's done for you and that's not enough for you and you turn your back on him, what more can he do? He's done it all. And you're saying it's not enough. Keep on going to the next screen. This is a weird way of putting it. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, who's treated as unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has, what's the word? Insulted the Spirit of God. Here's how Christians can do that. You've got two options. You are either for the rest of your life battling with the help of the Holy Spirit. He shows you what you need to be doing in your life. And you are striving with all your energy to match that image in your life. 
And that's going to happen the rest of your life, by the way. There's all sorts of battlefronts in my life I'm working on right now, simultaneously. And I fail. It's not because I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit. It's because I failed it, and I've repented of it, and I'm trying it again, and I'm going to keep battling it. But there are Christians sometimes who know full well what the Scriptures say and what they should be doing, but they no longer battle. They've made a peace treaty with it, so that's just the way it is. And they've already planned and plotted. And the way you can define this is, I know what the Word of God says, but... I know it says you shouldn't sleep together before marriage, but my girlfriend and I, we went too far. We felt guilty the first couple of times. But you know what? I liked it, got away with it, nobody caught us. It doesn't seem like any heavy sin is on me. God's not, you know, striking me dead. So we started enjoying it. Now I'm planning it for the weeks ahead. I'm planning on doing this. I'm not fighting this anymore. I'm not battling this anymore. I'm not feeling convicted. I'm not getting on my knees to fight this anymore. I'm just enjoying the ride. It's called blaspheming the Holy Spirit because His Word should be telling you constantly and His presence within you, even beyond the Word, should be just sitting there like a waterboarding your soul. You know? There's all sorts of things. People will say, well, there's a salvation issue. Guys, there's a salvation issue on a lot of things. If you are a person who tells a lot of little white lies, nobody can really tell whether you're telling the truth or not, and it may seem harmless to you, but listen... Our God is a God who says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He's a God who says, don't ever, te- don't ever tell lies to one another because you're members of one body. But you make a peace treaty and you decide, you know what, lying ain't no big deal. I'll just let it go unaddressed in my life. The Spirit's saying, no, don't do that. Fight against that. And you're saying, no, I'm okay with this. That becomes a salvation issue. It does because truth is a matter of importance to a God who is truth. Anything can be if the Spirit's trying to convict you through the Word that you need to be working on this and you're saying, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. You are either battling with the Holy Spirit's aid or you're blaspheming against Him. Those are the two options you've got in your life. So if you say, I know I need to be nice to people, I just don't want to. It's called blasphemy because it's very clear God says to show kindness and gentleness to people. You know how you should be toward your neighbors. You know how you should be toward your wife or your husband. You know how you should be toward your kids. You know how you should live because the Spirit's made it clear, but for whatever reason, you think you have an exception. You either battle with him or blaspheme against him, and Christians can do this a lot. So the first one, first person who needs subject to this invitation. Let me, let me give you one example of a person who does this. King Solomon in the Old Testament, God gave him this gift of great wisdom and he used it. He used it greatly. He became a great king and then guess what happened when he did? He put aside the gift of wisdom and he started making alliances instead of by the wisdom of God by intermarrying other women of other nations. Entering into financial covenants with other nations to get rich, but also to drain people dry of all these building projects. By the end of his life, it says that he had separated himself from following God, and he was letting these women distract his heart. And I'm wondering, I'm not the judge, I don't want to be the judge, I'm wondering if we'll see Solomon in heaven or not. He started great, but he got distracted, and he got led astray by different things, and the question becomes... 
Did he blaspheme the Spirit enough to where God no longer recognized him as his child? I wonder that. You look at the text of Scripture and you'll wonder that. And I wonder that for us. Let's be very careful as Christians. We, we hear what the Word of God says. Let's do what it says. First off, if you're a person who's never responded to the gospel, I don't know what you're waiting for. If you, know, if you know the power of a Christian life and you know the power of the Word of God and you know what the gospel says and what you need to do in response to receive the benefits of it, what are you waiting for? If you wait one more week, I'm not, I'm not really concerned about whether you die or not. That's probably unlikely. My question is, will you harden your heart so much this week that next week the spirit can't get in at all can you become so calloused you don't even hear him when he's calling anymore i'm concerned about people for this if you feel that conviction and you know what you need to do don't wait anymore do it make it right get that sin out of there and take god's immunity plan but if you're a believer and for whatever reason you're making excuses you're constantly saying i know what the word says but I know what God wants, but I know I, I can feel the Holy Spirit saying to me, you need to, you need to watch this because this is disobedient. And you are silencing him, quenching him, grieving him. Quit. If you don't watch it, he'll quit talking altogether. And then you're in real trouble. So this morning, I don't know what your response might be, but listen, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do through the Word of God, whatever conviction He's given you, start taking up the battle again. Do not make peace with sin. Don't sign a peace treaty. Instead, battle with the Holy Spirit's help. Do not blaspheme against Him. And if there's anybody who's blaspheming, you stand right now as a person who's a blasphemer, whether because you've never responded to the Spirit's work or you have and you've stopped, this morning you need to quit. Open yourself up to the leading of the Spirit once again. Let the Word of God have its convicting power and do something about it, even right now as we stand and as we sing.